Coming up this week, we chat World Cup warm-ups and first-round prospects at the T20 World Cup, plus world records in the international game and qualifiers for future global tournaments. But first, a shout-out to our Patreon supporters. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket. And finally, on top of the weekly pods, we rolled out some team preview specials for all of the qualifying teams at the T20 World Cup, so make sure you're up to date with all of them. For now, enjoy another weekly Emerging Cricket podcast. It's a warm welcome again from us here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Nick Skinner is here with me, Daniel Beswick, to look at all of the action in the associate and emerging world. Nick, how's things? Uh, We've got a pretty busy weekend or week ahead of us with the T20 World Cup first round in full swing by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast this week. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you psyched? Thoughts, feelings, emotions? <laughs> it's it's sort of the calm before the storm in, in a couple of ways. And we've got a lot of stuff out. We've got our previews and our predictions and, and whatnot. And we've also at work, you know, we're reopening to customers uh, on the Monday. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, we'll see how that goes in terms of uh, trying to police people's vaccination status. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a bit of a calm before the storm situation, but uh, yeah, I'm well. I'm well. I'm keen. The worst... I don't want to say that there's a worst possible time for a lockdown to finish here in New South Wales, but (laughs) it seems like the timing here, kind of like what we'll see from English batsmen in the ashes a little bit later this summer, sorry, not sorry, really bad, um, where everyone's free and out and running about here in, in New South Wales again, and all I can think to myself is I'm going to be at home every day watching cricket, and to be honest, not a whole lot of complaints. I might get a couple of mates over. <laughs> Nick, we might be able to watch some of this first round together, but... Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, good point. Yeah, look, I mean, I could probably go another month with none of that just because I don't really need it. Enjoying what everyone else is doing in that time anyway. So glad to be talking to you all about Emerging Cricket once again. Let us know where you are listening on the EC pod with the hashtag EC pod. And also to one more plug for our team previews. We're not going to go too in-depth on this World Cup thus far because by the time you listen to it, it will be already underway most likely. But we do have a whole backlog of all six uh, qualifying teams and their run-in and their form and, and our sort of predictions for all of them as well. But we will have a look at some of the lead-up, warm-up matches and the Summer Bash in UAE just to keep everyone on top of where everyone's currently sitting it's been an interesting time. We saw UAE actually defeat Ireland in a in a series, in a T20I series, led by Ahmed Raza, which was somewhat of a surprise given that UAE obviously didn't qualify for this tournament, but probably a testament to the talent coming through for UAE. But to look at, at some of the other warm-ups and matches that have been played in the lead-up to the tournament, uh, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh actually played against each other. Not a whole lot to talk about there. Sri Lanka beating Bangladesh, but... We saw Oman beat Namibia in Oman. Ireland beating PNG quite comfortably by eight wickets and with 3.2 overs to spare. And it, it was a strange one for me because Namibia were red hot in the televised warm-ups only to lose to Oman. I think they were tinkering with a couple of things here, Nick. But yeah, it, again, it's just thrown up some more unpredictability in regards to this first round. It, it's kind of the charm of, of what the first round is to a lot of people. 
as teams tinker, uh, we see guys experimenting, not necessarily playing their best 11 per se or their best sort of lineup within that 11. It's a case of contrasting styles at times, but sometimes it's actually hard to read too much into all of this. Yeah, I mean, I think back to the qualifiers where Canada looked so good coming into it and they looked, you know, they, they won one of their warm-up games dominantly. Ravi Singh hit, you know, 60 off 30 or something as, as he often does. But then in the in the actual tournament, they really ran out of steam in the back end and Ravi Singh was wildly out of form. So, yeah, it's, it's always hard to tell how much these warm-ups are going to mean to the actual tournament. But, you know, they are indicative of a few things. And, um, for example, Namibia, they gave Jan Nicole Lofty-Eaton a run and and he was their best bowler against Oman, which, you know, again, in conditions favouring spin, you'd think maybe he'd be a a bit higher up the pecking order, but you you never know. Yeah, Oman, funny, they looked, you know, a a bit flat against Sri Lanka. I know they ran them close-ish in one of the games, but, and then against Namibia, who were in, as you said, red-hot form, they uh, they won very comfortably. So, yeah, it's it's just unpredictable. And I think the main concern here is probably a team like Ireland, who, you know, playing against the UAE looked quite poor. And, yeah, just their combinations and, and a couple of warning signs losing a series 2-1 against a team that didn't even qualify that they beat in the qualifiers. So, you know, what's going on there? And the other one to watch is the Dutch, who lost to Scotland pretty comprehensively. They It was their first match since arriving in the Gulf, and it's quite strange, really, that they haven't had any other warm-up games, and you know they weren't part of that summer bash, or, or like Oman line up some bilateral warm-ups, if you want to put it that way. But yeah, so having no prep, they, they looked very out of sorts in the clips that were posted on socials, although <laughs> the, the, the live scoring uh, didn't come through, which was a bit disappointing. And yeah, just a slightly strange approach in the power play, coming through these two warm-ups that they have been playing, they just seem a bit defensive or, or like they're conserving wickets, which, you know, seeing an article talking to um, Mickey Svart, former Dutch batter, who was saying that, you know, on these wickets, the power play is the time to go because after that, it just gets so low and slow and the ball just gets a bit soft and, and it's hard to score runs quickly. So, yeah, strange approach, no prep. Yeah, I don't know. Are they vulnerable too in, in this uh, this group of death in Group A? But, uh, yeah, Looking looking a bit further afield, PNG, they're sort of same problem as always. You know, the top order struggles. Asad Val is the only one making runs and then they don't get a, a good enough total. It's just Groundhog Day for them. And yeah, Oman, I mean, if they can find form, they'll be dangerous. You know, they've got a lot of match winners in that lineup. Um, so yeah, looking forward to this. Who, who do you think, you know, let's, are we going to make our predictions here? I know our listeners can find the, uh, the each team's preview, but uh, are we going to just do a bit of a, a mini preview here? Uh, I was really hoping you didn't ask because I've been still tossing and turning as to <laughs> my uh, Group A predictions. I think Group B for me is is pretty nailed on. I think I'm going to go Bangladesh, Scotland, Omar, and PNG. And then in Group A, I, I do like the Dutch. It does concern me that I don't think they've actually played enough cricket in the last week or so. And I'm hoping that they shake off the rust in these two matches that they do have. I would hate to see that all of this preparation and tinkering that Cambo and a number of the Dutch guys have done to get this side so well balanced only fall at the final hurdle because they haven't quite set themselves up with a, a good lead in or a good last week into the tournament. I think they'll go through with 
And again, I say this with no certainty at all. I think Ireland might just edge the other two, Sri Lanka and, and Namibia. And it's no disrespect to Namibia because they're a great side and they could easily find their way in the top two. I actually like their chances almost better than Sri Lanka in a way in that they've almost got nothing to lose and they're, and they're a great side when they get it right. And they've got a great leader at the helm too. So Ireland's an interesting one. They're playing Bangladesh as we record in a, in a warm-up fixture and Gareth Delaney's in the runs. It will really depend on, on how that looks. Group A, again, it is a crapshoot. Um, you could roll a dice and get just about any any combination there. Before I do get your prediction, though, Nick, I, I want to ask if you if you saw this. We ran it on Emerging Cricket as well. During Oman's practice match with Sri Lanka, they interviewed Pankaj Kimji, friend of the show, on the boundary. Oh, yes. And he said something that I found quite amusing watching it back. And he was actually celebrating a birthday the day of the game. And as the interviewer was asking him what he was doing for his birthday celebrations, he politely replied that, Look, there are no celebrations in the Oman camp. We are firmly focused on the T20 World Cup campaign and we will only be doing and only be having celebrations after the tournament. (laughs) I mean, this guy just kind of personifies this sort of level of respect and almost concentration in this mission that Oman Cricket has. It was quite amusing. Shanak ran the story on on EmergingCricket.com as well, but geez. What a guy to have at the helm, someone like that. And Oman are full of discipline. It was just, I found that quite a nice moment. Yeah, and I mean, Kimji, we've talked to him on a previous episode. So, you know, go back through the feed and, and have a look for that. But they've done a lot in a very short amount of time. You know, watching the Cricket World Cup League 2 uh, series in Oman and the construction going on and, and the the new stadium that's being built around. Uh, it was kind of, you know, each time you tuned into a match, it was a little bit more built and a little bit more built. And, yeah. Um, you know, so they're, they're, they've done a lot of good stuff off the field in terms of facilities and getting the matches to be played in Oman, I think, was a coup for them. So, yeah, Obviously, Kim Ji is a professional and he crickets his his great love and he, he's so dedicated to it, uh, which which is great. And, you know, the Amanis, as we said, they've, they've been unpredictable and, you know, you never know what they'll do on the field. But if they can get it together, they'll, they'll be a real threat. And getting to the predictions, my sense for Group A is, um, yeah, as you said, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult. Um, but I, I think Sri Lanka will sort of just scrape over the line. Namibia will join them. In qualifying, the Netherlands, yeah, they just look a bit rusty. So I think they might just miss out. And then Ireland, I've got them down as um, coming fourth. So that that should tell you about the the level of um, parity in that group. Although quite possibly it will come down to net run rate because it's going to be so close. In in Group B, yeah, I'm similar to you. I've got Bangladesh, Oman, Scotland, and PNG. So. Just uh, Oman and Scotland uh, swapping places there, and I think Oman will probably edge them. And you know, just looking ahead to the tournament itself, I think one thing that's been a bit sort of underlooked is is the fact that if you qualify to the Super Twelve phase out of the first round, yes, you're set. You know, you auto qualify to the next T20 World Cup. So it's not just getting into the main draw and you know having the experience of being on the big stage, it's qualifying for the next World Cup. So there's even more on the line for these teams that you know imagine if we get two associates coming out of each group and and then the full members have to yeah. battle it out in the qualifying. You know that's the dream scenario. You think think about Sri Lanka and Bangladesh maybe even in the global qualifiers. I'm really glad you brought that up because the qualifiers for that tournament aren't far away. And we will talk about it a little bit later on because there's European qualifiers for next year's World Cup start 
when this pod is released. So it just shows you how tight turnaround there is between the two tournaments. And we're going to have those qualifiers around on our doorstep sooner rather than later. And when you think about it, and you're right, if these associates qualify for the next round of the tournament, ergo qualify for Australia in 2022, one, congratulations, can't wait to see you here in Australia. But two, it transforms almost cricket's history in a way because say you do have Sri Lanka and Bangladesh at the qualifier say they neither of those teams qualify I'm I'm not going to say that it's definitely going to happen but it's within the realms of possibility to think that those teams would front up with how big their fan bases are as well into a global qualifier against oppositions that they probably would never have faced before okay maybe on the Asian side with the Asian Cup being what it is that might not necessarily ring true but it, it kind of changes the pages of, of history and people looking back at this moment thinking to themselves, well, yeah, look, this is where cricket changed a little bit. And we did see a more collective strength of, of cricketing nations outside the full member 12. So it's a really exciting time for people in the emerging game. I, I can't remember a time when associate cricket was this collectively strong, at least at this high-end World Cup level at a 16-team global tournament as well. We know... We will sit here and harp on about the troubles and everything wrong with the 10-team one-day international World Cup. But this is the chance and this is the opportunity for change in emerging circles. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And finally, just going back on that Oman point, it was the slowest time lapse ever just (laughs) watching those stands being put up with all the series being played over the last sort of two weeks or so. But it looks to be a pretty good nick. They've been getting good crowds in Oman for these lead-up matches, especially with Sri Lanka. So good to see and and really excited for the tournament that we're about to watch. Let's move on. And before we do talk about uh, European qualifying and preview, there's there's been more action on the women's side. And we need to give Amy Hunter a huge shout-out. The youngest ODI centurion ever, yeah, in either men's or women's cricket. On her 16th birthday, making 100, and looking really solid, if, if truth be told. 121 not out by Amy Hunter off 127 balls. Just the eight boundaries in it too, which goes to show you, you don't have to be a brute to <laughs> muster up a, a, a total of that nature. That is quite difficult to do. That That's almost more impressive than, than someone just hitting boundary after boundary. Looking at the way the series panned out, Ireland coming back from a... 1-0 deficit to actually take the series 3-1. Ultimately, what looks to be pretty promising for Ireland, I think if we were to look back at the women's T20 World Cup Europe qualifier and, and talking about Ireland's struggles there in the T20 format and seeing Scotland go from strength to strength, this is a great hit back from Ireland, maybe proving that the 50-over format is their better format. But also, too, I think the question that that comes to my mind right now as we talk about it, Nick, between, say, Ireland, Zimbabwe and Thailand, there is a lot of competition up for those places at the uh, upcoming Women's World Cup. Yeah, the women's qualifier in November is going to be very interesting. You know, you've got uh, Zimbabwe hosting, so they'll have home ground advantage. But then, you know, looking at this series where Ireland beat them 3-1 and uh, against Thailand, Thailand, I think it was 2-all in the 50-overs and, and they beat them in the uh, T20 series. So Zimbabwe aren't nailed on to get one of those slots. And, of course, in that qualifier, uh, the top five teams qualify for the uh, the ongoing women's uh, one-day tournament over the next couple of years. And so they get regular one-day cricket against top teams. So that'll be 
brilliant for the development of, of whichever teams qualify for that. Ireland in this series, I mean, you know, they, they started off, uh, Zimbabwe comfortably chased the 254 in the first game, I think in the 43rd or 44th over with Marianne Masonda hitting a century in what was very strangely Zimbabwe's first um, ODI, which, you know, I, I would have thought they would have played at some point before now in women's cricket. But Yeah, that stat still astounds me. And not and not in the best way. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know, now now they've got off the mark. Hopefully they, you know, here's to a lot more for them. Um, but yeah, then Ireland two eighty six for seven against uh, Zimbabwe's two oh six for nine in the second match. Uh, Zimbabwe bowled out for one hundred and seventy eight in the third match, and Ireland chased it down one hundred and seventy nine for two. And then Ireland uh, in the fourth match, that's where Amy Hunter scored a ton, 312 for three, and Zimbabwe 227 for five. So pretty comfortable wins for Ireland all up. And it was good to see their top order getting a bit of a workout. You know, Laura Delaney, the skipper, uh, who's captained Ireland in more matches than anyone else uh, in in women's cricket. Uh, She got a couple of 50s and bowled quite well. So, you know, she's hitting some form. Gabby Lewis uh, was really good from the qualifiers. And she got three half centuries as well. Leah Paul also hit a couple of uh, half centuries at the top of the order. So yeah, you know, add in Amy Hunter, who's just you know, where where, where did she come from? I haven't yeah. seen her. <laughs> where have they been hiding her all this time? But um, you know, their top order is suddenly looking pretty good. And you know, on the Zimbabwean side, it just shows they they need a bit of work on depth. And watching the women's uh, T20 qualifiers, where they they went through pretty easily in the end. Yeah, they just need to make that step up because, you know, looking at their bowlers, they were just a bit too good at Africa level, a bit quicker, a bit sharper, but they got found out against yeah. the, the Irish batters and um, they were bowling a lot of extras against Ireland, which is, you know, that's the kind of thing that <laughs> you can't afford to be doing in, in tight games. And yeah, Masonda and Josephine Nkomo, again, for them with the bat, probably carrying the order. Modesta Mupachikwa can be dangerous, but... Yeah, they they just don't quite have the depth it would seem. Whereas you know Ireland all of a sudden look like they've got people who can who can produce runs all up and down the order. So um, yeah, going to be very interesting that series in November. But there's a lot of cricket to be played uh, before then. There is, but again, I go back to when we wrapped that women's European qualifier, and I think we were asking ourselves outside of Amy Richardson with Delaney as well, what batting depth did Ireland have and Geez, they answered a few questions uh, in this last week or so, which... <laughs> just go find a 16-year-old uh, centurion, yeah. Just some wonder kid that they've just unearthed as a diamond in the rough. Also, need to give a shout-out to Mary Waldron, brought up 150 international appearances for Ireland in women's cricket. Of course, she's a sporting talent in, in multiple facets. I'm 100% sure she's represented Ireland in, in another sport, probably football, I think. Yeah, once again, congratulations to Ireland and that women's qualify for the Women's World Cup and future tournaments. Going to be really interesting. Good to see some collective strength amongst this level of the game. The uh, upcoming qualifiers are going to be an intriguing watch. Let's move to the Americas and the Women's Americas qualifier is coming up, uh, being held in Mexico, being held in Mexico from the 18th to the 25th. The top team will progress to the T20 World Cup Global Qualifier next year. The four teams, Argentina, Brazil, Canada, and the USA. I think it did catch us a little bit by surprise when this was announced it would be held in Mexico. The USA have made more significant changes to the way that they've selected the team. Talking to Nate Hayes a little bit about this, they were able to scout talent a little bit better. 
uh, in this particular cycle from a USA point of view. We know about Brazil and their move to professionalism, speaking to Matt Featherston and seeing the progress there. What it ultimately means is that, again, we're going to get an ultra-competitive ultra America's qualifier here on neutral ground, Nick. Yeah, very interesting to see it being held in Mexico, but I, you know, I think that's a, a good step and hopefully one day Mexico will be participating in this. Um, we've seen them release a, a very interesting looking kit for, I think they're playing a, an exhibition game or two against some of the teams here. But uh, yeah, the Americans, you mentioned that they've, they've got a new look side and it's been a bit of a problem for and, and, you know, women's cricket in this region, especially uh, you know the Canadians and the Americans, they've often sort of picked very much the same team. And whereas there's been a bit of turnover this year, and uh, we, we saw Nate and Petty P some great photos together of them over the last little while. But there's been be some... still my beating heart, Nicholas. <laughs> there's been a lot of cricket being played with the American women, and and so having that just you know the ability to pick. <laughs> players based on you know on on field performances has I think uh, allowed them to refresh the side a bit. You know we've got young guns coming in like Gitika Kadali who's I think sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, they've really got the younger generation coming through and um, someone like Shabani Basker even who who's been around a little while but um, you know being thrust into the uh, the vice captaincy role is um, a good reward for her. And Tara Norris is another. She's an interesting one. She played in the hundred for the Southern Brave, left arm seam bowler. Born in Philadelphia, though, so they've um, you know they've scouted out some players from around the world in the the American diaspora as well. So um, I think they've got a pretty strong side. Uh, Brazil will probably be the ones challenging them. It'll be very interesting to see uh, where where Brazil are up to, you know, against America, who have been probably the benchmark team in women's cricket at this level. Though, you know, honestly, um, in in the Americas, it's sort of yeah, not that much competition. Uh, but Brazil. In South America, they've dominated the women's side of the the South American championships over the last little while. Um, Argentina, who historically have been much stronger, have have kind of fallen behind them. And yeah, Canada, I don't know. Just I, I don't. I think Cricket Canada need to take a leaf out of the US book in terms of turning the page on women's cricket. And this is something that has affected both you know the US and Canada in the past in terms of women's cricket, as they just haven't taken it seriously enough but the US have run some domestic competitions now and, and they've got Julia Price on board who's making a, a big difference in terms of just professionalizing the the talent pathways and the setup so I think Canada need to do the same and, and just invest in the women's side because the, the team they've got I just don't see it honestly I think they'll probably come third and it hurts me to say that and it's frustrating because you know the men's team is often there or thereabouts, but they haven't had that much success over the years. But the women's side of things, as we're seeing in associate cricket around the world, women's cricket is, you know, that's the way to go if you want to make an impact. And and the women's game is just increasing in competitiveness so quickly that it's such an opportunity for Canada to invest in that side of the game. And they just haven't enough. It's, it's frustrating. It seems to be such a good pathway when trying to build your overall national structure in the eyes of the ICC and when the funding is split up across the associate members around the world. And Brazil is the perfect example, also competing at this tournament. They're kind of the yardstick when it comes to this in comparison to someone like Canada. And I can safely say, as someone who is trying to diligently find information about a number of associate members on both the women's and men's side of cricket... Create Canada in general is quite poor in, in 
publicizing a lot of this information, actually getting a voice out there. I, I can't think of a single time across men's or women's cricket on any social media platforms that I've really seen anything come out of Canada at all, which, I mean, the exposure that you can gain just by being on those platforms and just having a voice it is the outcomes and the consequences of having that are almost immeasurable. And again, I look at the Canadian women's setup and I'm scratching my head and I'm sure you are more so, Nick, because, you know, being somewhat of a, of a Canada fan, being a Canadian yourself, it must be ultra frustrating at times. Yeah, I mean, you're right in terms of they, they often just don't publish anything until, you know, the day before or it's on some blog post buried on page seven of the website somewhere. But it, yeah, it, they don't help themselves, I think is probably the nicest way of putting it. But it frustrates me because, as I said, there's so much opportunity there. And if you are trying to if you're trying to push through into sort of the Canadian consciousness, the women's side of things is, I think, the way to go, especially in, mm. in Canada with... Um, th- there's a lot of push at the moment for gender equality and, and that's a, a political priority. So, I think you need to be a bit smarter about these things as a, a governing body of a sport. You need to you know, sort of see which way the wind's blowing and, and you know, Brazil's done that in terms of their um, their women's program and both finding ways to help the community as well and, and building sports facilities for disadvantaged people in, in Posse de Caldos and, and building on that uh, you know, reputation and, and attracting people to the game that way, I think is you know, you've got to look at what you've got and you know the hands that you've been dealt and try and play it a bit more smartly. And I, I just think Canada, there's a bit stuck in their ways in, in administratively and that's just on the women's side. On the men's side, yeah, we, we don't need to get into that. Well, I think that's more down to the result of World Cricket League 2 2019 as well, which certainly wouldn't have helped a lot of that and the funding that's gone with that because you look at the members that did gain one-day international status from that point onwards and you've got to say that they've kind of, from an administrative point of view, gone from strength to strength and the likes of Hong Kong and Canada have kind of been left behind. Once again, just to reiterate, the Women's Americas qualifier from the 18th to the 25th of October and being held uh, on neutral ground in Mexico. Now, we've tried to break it up here to help everyone compartmentalize, but there are T20 Men's World Cup qualifications going on. But for next year's tournament beginning, as people listen to this podcast on the 15th, the T20 Men's European World Cup qualifiers begin in Desert Springs in Almeria. Four-team tournament with the sub-regionals or the, the earlier rounds of, of qualifying being cancelled due to COVID. Four-team tournament, Denmark, Germany, Italy and Jersey. It's a double round robin at Desert Springs, as I said, over the next six days. There are several backstories and storylines before we even think about a ball being bowled here, Nick. We've got controversy in Denmark with a number of players missing out. Jade Dernbach is showing up for Italy. <laughs> uh, Michael Richardson is playing for Germany. Uh, there's a lot going on here, and to be honest, with all of that in mind, there is no guaranteed winner out of this four. Jersey are the team that probably have the best historical record, but they come in largely under the radar in comparison to the three other teams, although in, in terms of Denmark, I think a lot of the, the noise coming from that part of the world isn't necessarily positive, but either way, it's going to be a really exciting tournament, and I'm hoping it doesn't get too overshadowed by everything going on in UAE and Oman because we're going to see quite some quite some good action here. Yeah, it should be a good tournament. I remember uh, last European 
final. Uh, Germany lost out to Jersey on net run rate, and um, you know there was <laughs> some some story of uh, you know Dan Weston standing on the sideline, oh. frantically you know waving his arms around yeah. and, and telling them what they needed to get. And they, they you needed in fourteen overs. You needed in fourteen <laughs> overs. What are you doing? So yeah, they they um they just missed out on net run rate uh, last time. So as you say, Jersey probably the team to beat, but. Um, you know, going based on the previous final, they, uh, you know, the Germany, I think, are there or thereabouts. Um, yeah, and as you said, a couple of interesting uh, additions to the teams. Jade Dernbach, I was never very impressed with him when he played for England. So, I guess we'll see how he goes at this level, whether it makes much difference. Um, you know, if I was a, a batter from Germany or, or Denmark or, or Jersey, I'd be looking at Jade Dernbach in the death overs and thinking, you know what, he went for around 10 and over or more uh, when he was playing internationally at the peak of his career. So now that he's in, you know, probably the, the twilight of, of his years as a professional cricketer, he'd be pretty hittable, I, I imagine. Although, you know, he might might come and uh, prove us all wrong. But um, yeah, Craig Mescheter back from retirement for Germany. That'll be an interesting one. He, I think he had some injury problems a, a year or two ago. So potentially yeah. just that time off has allowed him to just fully recover. Because I know this is sort of a, a thing that happens a lot in professional sport really is that players just sort of often play for years and years and years like just slightly injured and so having just a, a long break to just to heal properly quite possibly helps him there uh, Michael, Michael Richardson son of uh, former ICC CEO Dave Richardson um, so yeah playing as a wicketkeeper that'll be interesting to see how it goes but yeah you, you talked about the controversy for Denmark uh, yeah it, it's a very strange story because uh, I don't yeah the, Den, the Danish cricket uh, administration released a, a sort of um, vague kind of explanation. Yeah, the the quote I've got here is, in short, there were differing understandings of whether the association has followed an agreement with the players over making changes in the selected squad before the tournament. So the conflict seems to be that the previous coach, Ruan Lowe, selected a team, I think three months ago, and then he quit a little while back uh, in murky circumstances, which is another story. Um, and then... Subsequently to that, the replacement coach has tried to change the squad. According to the Danish Cricket Federation, he tried to change two players. And again, this is the sort of thing that you would imagine had been agreed with the players beforehand. So the fact that there was misunderstanding over whether the squad was final, I mean, that's that's something that... Yeah, why was that not spelt out very clearly in the first place? But... Yeah, so he apparently tried to change two players and now they're six players down, including senior guys like the former captain now, I guess, Hamid Shah, uh, left-arm orthodox spinner that I'm always pumping up, uh, Nikolai Damgaard, the Henriksen brothers. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, quite quite strange situation there. And it's the kind of thing that it, it definitely seems like there's more to the story. Um, former England pace bowler Amjad Khan is back in the team, although he's he's past 40 and he hasn't played for Denmark for a little while so I don't know what's going on with that and and whether you know that's involved in in the sort of conflict there um but yeah looking at this squad they're missing probably at least half of a a full strength team so they're gonna struggle one interesting player to keep an eye on is Surya Anand who's making his full team debut he comes from Mumbai he grew up there but he has Danish appearance and he came over to Europe a year or two ago uh, originally trying to play league cricket in England, uh, making use of his Danish passport. Uh, but then the uh, pandemic 
happened <laughs> and uh, those those plans were derailed and so he ended up hanging out in Denmark and he played a couple of games last summer for Denmark in some sort of um, non-official matches against, I think it was Norway, and he did quite well. And he's, um, yeah, so that's an interesting one to, to keep an eye on. And, and he apparently is uh, known for speaking very good Danish, despite, as far as I'm aware, only coming over like a year or two ago, which is, is quite interesting. But uh, yes. He has been highly touted as a cricketer too, and, and definitely a name to watch out. And in terms of all that news... We can only pass on what really comes to hand here, and I'm sure we haven't heard the last of this. And just to kind of go back to one more point you made there, Nicholas, again, if I'm a batter at this level and I look at the way Jade Dernback bowls, I, I wouldn't be discouraged. Uh, and looking at his record, he the T20 format was comfortably his third best of the of the three formats. So... I'm intrigued to see where it, it goes and if Italy can extract any sort of form of quality out of Dernback. But again, if you're an opponent, I wouldn't be concerned, you know. So very intrigued to see how that all goes. Staying with T20 World Cup qualification for next year's tournament, and again, to add that caveat, just to make sure people aren't too confused with everything going on concurrently as a lot of this happens with somewhat of an overlap. We've got another bumper tournament in, well, two tournaments in Africa, really, in the sub-regional A and B coming up. Quite a few teams competing, as you can imagine, Eswatini, Ghana, Lesotho, Malawi, Rwanda, the Seychelles, and Uganda in sub-regional A. And then in sub-regional B, Botswana, Cameroon, Mozambique, Sierra Leone, and Tanzania. They basically run back-to-back on each other. And again, Nick... Africa's just been just a hotbed of action. We've just finished the Under-19 World Cup qualifiers with Uganda going through and taking the the, uh, Africa spot in that region, beating Tanzania uh, quite comfortably and with that huge net run rate boost. So, again, I look to Africa and there's some more entertaining cricket on the horizon for for cricket fans and wherever you can find it. Yeah, Africa's a a great area for cricket at the moment. There's just so much competition happening and teams kind of moving up and... Kenya, everyone remembers, but they're sort of on the downswing, and, and a lot of these other teams are catching up to them, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, sub regional A starting on the sixteenth, running through to the twenty second, with two teams progressing to the regional final, which is being held in November. So it's all being run back to back. As you said, the the Seychelles is one to keep an eye on. I don't think we've seen them at an ICC event for close to a decade as, as far as I'm remembering maybe Andrew Nixon can correct me here but um, they also have one of the best flags in the world so I think we can uh, look forward to some some interesting kit from them in that in that first sub-regional yeah I'd say Uganda looks to be certain uh, for first place they're probably the strongest team there but yeah a bit trickier for second I think Rwanda have enough quality but you know uh, can't rule out teams like Malawi or, or Ghana who've been decent in the past at, at, at sub-regional level. So it could be a good battle for second. Yeah, and then they have a bit, sort of a break of about a week and then there's sub-regional B and that's November 2nd to 7th and two teams out of Botswana, Cameroon, Mozambique, Sierra Leone and Tanzania progressing. I think probably Sierra Leone and Tanzania are the ones you would expect, but you know, don't rule out Botswana. That's a, a pretty strong sub-regional group. Um, and then, yeah, another uh, another week or so break, and then the regional final 
uh, Kenya, Nigeria, and then the the qualifiers from each of those two sub regionals, making a six team final. Looks very open. A lot of lot of good teams. And I mean, last time it rained and that sort of stuffed up the um, kind of the playing schedule. But if it doesn't rain, yeah, it could be a very exciting tournament. And just thinking a bit more broadly, you know, this model. I think could be applicable for a lot of the backlog. You know, we've got a lot of cricket tournaments that have been postponed over the last little while in terms of the ICC's qualification pathways uh, for men's and women's cricket over the next few years. So just the way they've gone about it, having it all sort of back to back to back, running it all at once in the same country, you know, get the teams there, the ones who drop out, go home, the ones that, that don't stay there. That could be a pretty effective way. It would, of course, depend on availability for you know a lot of the amateur players. But then at the same time, it's better even with a sort of truncated team if players have work commitments or whatever. It's definitely better to have the games actually run on the field rather than just going based on rankings, which we've seen a lot and, and it's thrown up some pretty frustrating situation so yeah that that whole uh, you know jamboree of cricket that's going on at the moment in in africa is um one to one to keep an eye on as well probably worth noting too just to make sure everyone's on the same page with how all this is going zimbabwe are automatic qualifiers to the global qualifier uh, based on icc t20 international rankings and should namibia not make the next round of the t20 World Cup proper in UAE and Oman, they would slide back into the qualifier there as well. So it leaves one spot open for another African team in that. And it's probably worth noting too, once we do look at uh, Asian, Asia Western region and the Americas as well, that, well, it's a similar story, although there aren't any automatic qualifiers coming out of the Americas after Bermuda's poor showing at the qualifier as well and their poor ranking because of that. There's quite a lot going on, so we just need to make sure that we've tried and got you guys covered at every single step. We'll look at the Asia-Western region here now, and that begins on the 23rd of October and and goes for the next week. The Eastern region one was cancelled. Hong Kong automatically qualified for that, and Singapore will also be at the tournament uh, by virtue of their ranking as well. So again, we've got a lot of teams and a lot of cricket going on, but Bahrain, Kuwait, the Maldives... Qatar and Saudi Arabia all taking part in that tournament. Qatar could well be the best of the bunch. They have beaten Oman at international level at ACC Western Regional Cricket. But again, when we do throw it out there and you look at these tournaments in close depth, there's always a surprise or two that come about from tournaments like this. Yeah, Qatar, probably the favourites. They beat Oman in the Asia Cup qualifying pathway probably yeah a bit over 18 months ago now but um yeah they also beat nepal in the uh, asian qualifying for uh the 2019 global qualifiers uh, to keep nepal out of of the global qualifier so qatar looking good but saudi arabia i think will give them a bit of a run for their money in in the previous cricket that has been played saudi arabia's looked quite strong and and uh, especially at the asian level so they won't have any fear of qatar and yeah only one team progressing out of those five so yeah it could be interesting i think you'll probably be pulling for the maldives you went on holiday there one time didn't you bez is that is that what we're the closest we're going to get to to some form of allegiance i've got a maldivian flag here somewhere I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll wave about but yeah i don't know uh i haven't thought about that too much i do remember 
Qatar having an unbelievable, almost Queensland-esque oh, yes, kit, maroon yeah. <laughs> and uh, yellow kit. Maybe we should just be basing our uh, allegiances on kit colours. Yeah, it was it had skyscrapers. Yeah, the skyline's silhouette. Yeah, it looks really cool. One progressing, uh, as mentioned, played from the 23rd to the 29th of October. And then finally, the Americas. Argentina, Bahamas, Belize, Bermuda, Canada, the Cayman Islands, Panama, and the USA played from November 7th to the 14th. So we'll talk about it in a little bit more depth uh, once we do get closer to the tournament. But probably the big news story of this particular competition, Nick, it's been moved to Antigua. It uh, was originally meant to be played in Toronto and to progress to the global qualifier. So there's a lot to play for in the region. Yeah, it's um, this is, I guess, the alternative path or strategy to the um, the the what was going on in Rwanda where they just play all the tournaments at once um, is that they've just been to the sub-regionals where in, instead of having you know, Bahamas and, and Cayman Islands and, and so on playing at a lower level and then moving through to a, a higher level qualifier with um, you know, Bermuda and Canada and the USA, uh, they've just jammed everyone together into a, a giant uh, competition, uh, which I think yeah makes the stakes for upsets a lot higher. They're playing a single round robin, and you know if someone like an Argentina can pull off an upset against Bermuda or Bermuda upsets the USA again, you know it could be chaos in terms of who qualifies. So yeah, one to keep an eye on in in, in the next little while. And again, just to wrap, make a, a complete wrap and tie a knot on all of this, or tie a bow on all of this. The global qualifiers, Group A and B, split into two groups of eight, one in February next year and one in May. Those locations are yet to be confirmed, even if there have been uh, a few releases on social media from a couple of different boards (laughs) around the places that have said otherwise. But Letting the cat out of the bag, yeah. Yes, it'd be very interesting. The top two teams in uh, each of those qualifiers go through to the World Cup. And the top 12 from 2021's World Cup order qualify for 2022. And again, yeah, as you mentioned, Nick, it means that the stakes of this tournament that we're about to watch, uh, the T20 World Cup in Oman and UAE, there is a lot more riding on it. So looking forward to all of it. Uh, good to see that the teams do progress to the next round, rewarded for their good play, but also an opportunity there for a number of teams at both global qualifiers. <laughs> it says sounds a little bit weird when we say both global qualifiers because global should be a kind of a yeah. all- encapsulating thing but it's just the way that the the tournament is going to be nutted out next year uh i think that's everything in the emerging game this week once again thank you for joining us here on the emerging cricket podcast we're looking forward to the t20 world cup as much as you are keep up with all the news and events from uae and oman on emergingcricket.com we'll have plenty of podcast news website news the odd uh, Twitter spaces around where mm. between Nick and myself and a bunch of people will be spouting some sort of nonsense on a on a Twitter space a Twitter space somewhere near you uh, so do make sure to look out for that and if you're on Spotify as well hit that bell icon and you will be notified every time our podcast goes live and as mentioned at the top of the show we have team previews half an hour team previews of all the teams who qualified for the T20 World Cup, which begins on the 17th. But for now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, myself, Daniel Beswick, and everyone at Emerging Cricket, enjoy your week wherever you are in the Emerging Cricket world.